Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. The turning point for me was I was at Bigger Pockets Conference in October of this year, just a couple months ago. And uh, I met some key players in the space who I respect. And uh, I was just started like telling them what was going on. And uh, they were like, dude, like we cut partners all the time. If you're no longer aligned, like it's just normal. It's part of business. It's nothing personal, but it's just it's just what happens. And so I woke up the morning after Bigger Pockets Conference and I was like so clear and so motivated on what I needed to do. And I was like, you know what? I could die tomorrow. I need to make this decision and I need to go my separate way. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Rich Summers Report. In this episode, we are going to talk about why partnerships break up. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, my experience. I recently broke up with my partners a couple months ago, so I wanted to talk a little bit about you know what my experience was like, um, what it was like meeting them, and what we did together. Um, it was a very successful partnership. So I will say that there's nothing um, to hang our hats on, if you would. Um, and there was a lot of learning lessons uh, within that, and I wouldn't trade it for the world because that's how we grow at the end of the day. So um, stick around for the whole episode. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of useful stuff in here, which hopefully you can apply some of these items to your business and your personal life. So um, for me, you know, I'm rolling it all the way back to 2019. Um, this is while I was working full time as an air traffic controller. Um, my two partners, I had known one of them uh, through air traffic control. The other one I hadn't quite known, but, um, you know, one of them had just bought a fourplex in the break room of this air traffic control facility. He's talking about this fourplex that he just closed on in Cleveland. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so, um, naturally I just started asking him questions about it. And that was about the time where I was interested in, in getting into real estate investing. And so we just started, you know, talking shop and chatting. And then, um, he introduced me to our other partner, Sean. And, um, next thing you know, we're talking shop, we're looking at deals. Um, and, uh, we're looking at doing individual deals together and that sort of thing. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I, I thought, guys, like, what if we put our money together and, um, and bought a deal together, buy something a little bit bigger. And so, um, we all cashed out our 401ks at the time and, uh, we put our money together and decided to partner on one deal. And, uh, we bought a 32 unit apartment building in Indianapolis, which we closed on in late 2019. It was a C-class deal in Indianapolis, uh, 32 units, had all the deferred maintenance, had all the issues. Um, I remember doing the inspection. Uh, there was the cop showed up twice during the inspection. Um, there was like, I saw a drug deal going on. Pretty sure there was hookers living on the property. It had all the problems, but it was a well-located asset. Um, it was in a good area of Indy next to a bunch of good retail. Um, there was like a Starbucks down the street. Um, so good, uh, shopping and some good restaurants and that sort of thing, which is kind of what you want to look for when you're buying commercial real estate. So that said, um, 
we ended up buying that deal together. We closed December 2019. Uh, it was the three of us. We brought in two more small uh, equity partners because uh, right before closing, we realized we needed like another hundred grand to close. Um, and so we brought in a couple partners, um, which helped us get that deal to the finish line. And um, that deal went pretty good. Um, you know, during the pandemic, there was uh, there were, we had a bunch of moveouts. We were in the middle of renovating units, um, and the pandemic started. And we were like, holy cow. I remember there was a point um, during that process to where like, we were struggling to lease up units because the pandemic had just dropped. People just weren't moving at the time. They weren't looking to move because there was a lot of stay-at-home orders uh, around the country. Um, so I remember like at that time, we had some you know, tough phone calls. We're like, hey, man, like, what are we going to do to fill these units up? We had a lot of vacancy, but uh, we got creative and push come to shove. We decided to, um, you know, post a bunch of these units on Craigslist and do Facebook marketplace ads and just really get creative with our, you know, concessions and incentives for people to move in. And uh, surely uh, one unit after another, we ended up filling up the, the property and turning a lot of the units. Uh, fast forward a couple of years later, we... Um, we had renovated about 50% of the units on that property and the property directly next door, it was a larger deal. It was like 220 units, um, was listed and the pricing guidance on that property was like really, really high. I think it was over a hundred thousand dollars a door. We had bought this property for about 35 a door. And so we thought, holy cow, um, what if we can get this number by selling? Um, so reached out to the broker who was listing the property next door. He's like, yeah, we can get you that number. So we threw it out there, tested it. Um, one thing led to another, ended up selling the property. Uh, we ended up selling it for 3x what we paid for it just two years prior. So it ended up being um, our first win. And that particular deal was what helped um, all of us basically quit our day jobs and punch out of there, which was pretty cool. Um, and you know, going back to day one, I think that was like ultimately the goal when we were chatting in the break rooms. You know, just kind of, it was a, really just a dream at that point, like talking about owning a bunch of real estate and apartments and produce passive income and cash flow so we could quit our jobs. Um, that was the ultimate goal. And so um, from that standpoint, it was very successful. Uh, shortly after um, we bought that 32-unit deal, this is end of 2019, we decided to launch a, a podcast together, the three of us. It's called the, uh, the Multifamily Takeoff. Um, since then, I've removed myself from it just recently, and uh, it's rebranded. They're still carrying it on. It's called the Real Estate Takeoff. But uh, we did weekly interviews, uh, apartment investors. We had Grant Cardone on the show. I believe it was episode number 22. Uh, that was my favorite episode, personally, that we did as a group. So that was super fun. Um, and then we decided after that, like, we had run out of money. Like, we wanted to keep buying assets, but we didn't have any more money to work with. And so we decided to... Uh, partner uh, with some sort of mentorship mentorship group. Um, there's a lot of multifamily mentors in that space that will basically teach you how to raise private capital and take down larger deals. And so we had been interviewing a lot of these groups on our podcast. And so with that, we interviewed like seven or eight groups. And um, we wanted to be with a group that um, we could work with directly and a group that was more concerned about buying assets than they were building their 
educational business, if you would. So, you know, there's a lot of groups out there that buy a couple deals and then they start an educational business and they're more invested in building their educational business and growing their, their student base uh, rather than buying deals. And we didn't want to work with a group like that. So we ended up going with a group, uh, John and Tony Azar, um, still my mentors today. Um, they've been very, very influential in my life. And, um, I owe a lot of credit to them and my success early on in my uh, real estate investing career. Um, but they taught us everything, uh, how to raise money, how to source deals, how to underwrite. And um, within our partnership, you know, Sean was the one who uh, underwrote a lot of the deals. Uh, he was good with the numbers. Um, he would also work with the construction teams um, in terms of like renos and stuff like that. And then Mike would kind of act as an arm asset manager. So like he would, um, you know, come up with work side by side with the property manager, if you would, um, in terms of, okay, like, Hey, this, this unit's coming up for lease. Are we going to, you know, how much are we going to increase our rent? Um, are we going to renovate this unit? What are we going to do with it? What's the extent of our renovations, that sort of thing. And then he would also work with, um, our CPA, our accounting team, and then also legal. My role, um, was the deal finder. I, I would do a lot of acquisitions. So with that, it was um, sourcing deals, building broker relations, um, going and visiting and touring properties, um, and then also raising capital and sourcing debt. So um, getting these deals, you know, capitalized, whether it's on the lending side, but also, um, also sourcing the capital and equity that it required to take down these deals. So that was kind of like my, my specialty. And it makes sense. And I think like looking back, and for anyone out there listening that's interested in partnering, you never want to partner with someone who shares your um, character traits. So if you're good at sourcing deals, you're a people person, you're good at sales, you don't want to partner with someone else that's good at sales. You probably want to partner with someone that's more analytical and likes to do some of the back-end stuff. That's what makes a good partnership. And I thought, I think looking back now, like that's what made, made us a, a good partnership is uh, we shared a different skills. Um, so that was good. So anyways, so we, um, had the partnership or the mentorship, John and Tony, they taught us everything. We ended up getting another deal on a contract. It was, uh, the Arbor's townhomes, 150 units that we bought with our mentors. They co-sponsored it, uh, out in Greensboro, North Carolina, C-class property, 1970s vintage. And, um, we, that was our first capital raise and, um, we did what's called a 506 B. So with the SEC, you have two different guidelines. You can do a 506 B or a 506 C in terms of capital raise and the B you can raise from friends and family. Um, but you cannot solicit or market the deal. 506 C on the other end, you can market and solicit, talk about the deal on social media on podcasts, whatever, but you can only bring in accredited investors, uh, people who have either a net worth of a million dollars or more, or have made over $200,000 in the two consecutive years or two previous years leading up to the capital raise. Hey guys, real quick, I'm trying to hit 1,000 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts within the first month of our launch so we can move up in the rankings and reach new audiences. In order for this to happen, I'm going to need the help of you guys. If you could please take two seconds and leave a five-star review and rating, it would mean the world to me. We're also giving away cash prizes, free swag, and tickets to our yacht meetups here in San Diego. We'll be selecting winners January 18th to qualify. All you need to do is leave a review and send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com. I love you guys. And now back to the show. Um, so the first one we did a B, 
raised from friends and family. Uh, I went pretty well. The, the money came in a lot easier than, than we anticipated, being that it was our first time raising capital and we were still somewhat green. Um, took down that deal. We closed in May of 21. And shortly after that, we got another one under contract. It was the Timber Creek Apartments, 145 units, also in Greensboro. This is probably three months later. And um, that one, we were like, you know what? Let's go ahead and try to 506C so we can market and solicit for new investors. Um, and that was a learning lesson. I think what we learned was, you know, in order to attract accredited investors, um, you really need a track record because an accredited investor you know, generally speaking, is going to be a little bit more sophisticated and they're going to have options uh, to who they place their capital with. And so they're typically going to invest with more experienced operators, uh, not us. But given that we did leverage, you know, our mentors and their experience and their track record, and so that's kind of how we got around that um, that question there. Like, hey, you guys are green. Like, how are we going to trust you guys? And so we would just leverage their experience. But that said, that capital raise did not go as smoothly as the first one. Um, we had a lot of, you know, friends and family members that wanted to invest, but since they weren't accredited, um, they weren't able to. And it, I don't like saying no to, you know, investors who want to invest in deals. It's not a good feeling. I don't like telling anyone no. I don't even like telling myself no for that matter. But, uh, anyway, so we got both those deals done. The second one, our mentors had to come in with some additional funds, but we got it to the finish line. We closed both deals. Um, so now at this point, we're rocking and rolling. We got it north of 300 units. We're like, okay, like what's next, you know? And um, I think our vision um, was a little bit different. And, and this was at the time when I first realized, like, you know, our visions were not necessarily aligned. Um, I wanted to, well, I had already left the air traffic control job at this point. I left in, uh, end of 2020 and, um, I had about 80% of what I thought I needed monthly in order to be comfortable and to pay all my, you know, personal living expenses. And so to me, I was like 80% is enough. Let me just jump ship. Let me go all in on real estate investing. I'm going to figure this out. So I left, but they ended up sticking around for like another year or so. And so I think during that year, I was full-time working on myself and I was in growth mode. I was studying, I was getting around big players. And so I think because of that, my mindset, my mindset started to shift while they were still working the day job. And so the first time where I realized like our vision might not be aligned was when I wanted to hire an admin, uh, someone to do the day to day stuff, uh, someone to send out the investor reports, um, to take care of a lot of the back end stuff, the day to day stuff that I didn't want to do. And, um, I brought a couple suggestions to them. They didn't want to hire. And so what I ended up doing was hiring a part time assistant. Um, to do the duties that I didn't want to do within our partnership, but also within some of my personal stuff, um, like, you know, guest communication with the three Airbnbs that I had at the time, um, and that sort of thing. So I ended up making this hire part time. She was a big help. She ended up rocking with me for quite some time and really helped level me up. Um, and so I ended up just paying that out of my own pocket and not out of the partnership's expenses. And so I saw what value that part-time admin did for me in terms of freeing up my, my time so I could reallocate it on higher and better uses so I can keep you know pushing the ball down the field if you would. And so with that, I think I started to naturally do more. 
um, and they were still working the day job. And I think we that was when we first started to really like grow apart. Um, we started, you know, looking at more deals uh, towards the end of twenty one. We didn't find anything. We didn't buy anything else. And then um, twenty two happens, and I'm like, you know. It's hard to find multifamily deals out there at this time. Cap rates are compressing. Um, the market was just really overheated. There was just people throwing a lot of money at these multifamily deals. I mean, going $500,000, a million dollars non-refundable and earnest money day one without even doing any due diligence on the property. Um, and people were overpaying for these deals, you know, and um, now the market's cooled off. And I think some of those operators are, are going to be paying for it, you know. Um, so we'll see how this shakes out. But that said... Early 21 hits, and I'm like, I got to do more because we weren't buying more deals. Um, they were still working the day job, and I was like, I need more. So I decided to um, start my own business, um, and that was Fortune Cribs, and that was basically a management company managing uh, short-term rentals um, for clients, like third-party clients, but also uh, as an entity to manage the, the uh, short-term rentals that I have in my portfolio. And so with that, um, launched that, got an office, got a little tiny office here uh, in San Diego, downtown San Diego, and uh, I made my first full-time hire. Um, and we just started you know, building our short-term rental portfolio. We would basically go to um, you know, people who came to our meetups or investors, people that we knew in our circle that um, had money. And we said, hey, like, you know, um, we'll find you a deal. We'll analyze it. We'll, uh, you know, design it. We'll help you close on it. And then from there, we'll furnish the place. We'll run all the operations, the day-to-day, like whether it's the maintenance, the repairs, the accounting, the guest communication. We'd basically be a one-shop stop, and we'd do all the accounting for them and just basically send them an owner's statement once a month along with a, um, a distribution. And so that's kind of how we built that business out. Um, and we got to about 20 short-term rentals, and then the interest rates reversed, and the Fed just started pumping the rates. And so at that time, I didn't feel comfortable uh, advising our clients to continue buying residential single-family homes because I felt like the market would soften, and it has softened. And so at that time is when we made a pivot, and uh, I decided, hey, let's go find some boutique hotels. And so I found a boutique hotel, 10 rooms up in Northern California, beachfront, and uh, brought the guys into the deal. We went and raised money from the deal. That capital raise filled up really quickly. It was less than 24 hours. We raised all the money required for that deal. I think it was like 1.7 million. And uh, bought that thing. And uh, my company, Fortune Krebs, is managing it remotely the same way that we manage all of our short-term rentals around the country. Just self-check-in, self-check-out model allows us to run it pretty lean. And then um, we'll uh, really go heavy on the marketing. So Airbnb, we're on Verbo, Booking.com, Hotels.com, social media. And then we also just recently uh, launched a direct booking website, like a hospitality brand called Excelsior Stays. Um, So anyways, took that one down with them. And uh, things are just going pretty good. We're like, hey, let, let's buy some more hotels. And um, I think it was shortly after this. We're, we're talking like late August now, September. And um, it just became more and more apparent to me that like we just weren't aligned. Um, they were having a lot of meetings. And um, I just kind of felt like, 
you know, I wanted to go all in on the hotel space. Like I wanted to buy a bunch of these things and I wanted to hire good people and build out the team and like really commit to it. Um, and they kind of wanted to go a little bit slower. They wanted to, um, play it safe. Um, they wanted to like hire interns, you know, basically like, uh, people to come work for free. Um, and I wanted to go take, I want to go hire the talent. I wanted to go for it because I know, you know, in real estate, things are evolving quickly. So like, you know, just like multifamily dried up and became overheated. Um, you know, there's an opportunity in the boutique hotel space, I believe right now. Um, and those opportunities will change. Like things are moving, things are fluid in this space, especially in real estate. And so when you see an opportunity, like I, to me, it's important to go all in. And that's why I just, I didn't want to do the intern thing. I don't, I want to bring on good people. I don't want to babysit team members. Like I want to bring in good people that are plug and play and like people that are problem solvers and people that I want going to war with me. Um, if we're going to battle, you know, if you would. And, um, I just felt like they weren't aligned to do that. And so that was one issue. Um, there was a couple other things that, you know, I'm not going to mention, but I just kind of felt like it became more and more challenging for us to come to decisions. Um, often, you know, a decision that maybe should take 10 minutes would take days and days. And it was like meetings and back and forth. And because it was a majority vote, um, and they were, you know, for the most part batting for the same team, um, they would often, you know, win these decisions, which made me feel like, you know, a lot of my ideas, which where I think is where I bring the most value, um, being a visionary is, um, weren't really Mm, didn't really mean much if you would, because I'd have an idea. Hey, I want to go do this. I want to hire. Let's do it. They'd be like, no. And so I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, am I going to reach my full potential as a real estate investor, as an entrepreneur? Life is short. Like we can all die tomorrow. Um, and so like I asked myself, like, am I really going to reach my full potential with this current structure? And it started to like really wear on me. And I was like, man, I don't have anyone to talk to about it. It's like, you don't want to talk to friends or family members because like, you know, like you get into partnerships and stuff like that. People are always like, oh, like be careful who you partnership with or partner with. They never go, they never go good. And so you don't want to put your baggage out there. Right. And so a lot of these conversations I was just kind of like having with myself, I'd be up late at night, just kind of like running these scenarios through my head. Um, but I started talking to uh, my admin at the time who I was working with and um, we started kind of bouncing some ideas off of each other, but it was just kind of low key. And then the turning point for me was I was at Bigger Pockets Conference in October of this year, just a couple months ago. And uh, I met some key players in the space who I respect. And uh, I was just started like telling them what was going on. And uh, they were like, dude, like, we cut partners all the time if you're no longer aligned. Like, it's just normal. It's part of business. It's nothing personal, but it's just, it's just what happens. And so I woke up the morning after Bigger Pockets Conference and I was like so clear and so motivated on what I needed to do. And I was like, you know what? I could die tomorrow. I need to make this decision and I need to go my separate way. And so I called a meeting. I said, Hey guys, we need to meet. Uh, and then I called the team and I uh, brought them into the office and I said, Hey, like, this is what's going down. Um, I'm going to need you guys. Um, this is going to be a new chapter. Um, and, uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to go, but I can guarantee you guys that like, we're going to fucking rock this shit and we're going to figure it out. And, um, they were on board and they were super supportive. So fast forward, went to the meeting with the guys. I told them. They kind of knew it was coming. 
we had kind of been like, you know, just butting heads a little bit in terms of decision making and that sort of thing. And so I think that partnership had kind of run its course. Um, and so we met and I was just completely transparent with him. I said, look guys, like, you know, we had a successful partnership and we did, um, you know, it got us from point A to point B and that was really like for us to, you know, quit our day jobs. Um, and there's nothing for us to hang our hats on, but I just kind of feel like it's time for me to, to go our separate, to go my separate way. And, um, you know, I'll be rooting for you guys and, uh, I can't wait to see what you guys do next, you know? And so they actually took it very well. I think they were on the same page and, um, this is good. I mean, it's mutually beneficial for both of us because now I can go at my own pace. I can scale, um, and, um, you know, they can go at their own pace as well. And so now we're not butting heads. Um, and it's great. And we still own real estate together. And so I think it's important to note that like, you know, we're still friends, um, love those guys to death. Um, and we actually get along better now that we're not in this partnership together. So, uh, we're going to continue to operate the deals that we own together and continue to let maximize, you know, revenue and, um, returns for our investors. We're just not going to be buying deals together and, uh, that's okay. You know? And so I don't know, I, I think, um, with anything in life, it's relationships and, you know, friendships and business partnerships. It's like, you know, everyone has a different vision and everyone wants to go at their own pace and that's okay. And I think one of the things that I've realized just kind of being on my own in the last couple of months is like, I don't waste a lot of time with decision-making now. Like I will consult with the team. Like I am a team person and like, I want to collaborate and I want everyone to be involved with the decision. But at the end of the day, like the team knows, like, you know, like I, I value their input and I really do. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I make the final call and if I want to go do something, we're going to, we're going to do it and we're going to figure it out, you know? And so I've realized now it's like, we're not, I'm not spending a lot of time making decisions. I can just, you know, make a decision and we go with it. And, you know, tomorrow we're, we're off to the races, which actually saves a lot of time and uh, makes things a lot more efficient if you would. Um, so I think the takeaway here is really like, you know, I challenge you guys, like if there is any partnership or relationship in your life right now, that is no longer conducive with your vision or where you're trying to go tomorrow, I encourage you to take action because at the end of the day, life is short and we could all tie tomorrow. And all we can ask for is, you know, push come to shove that, when you do die, you don't die with any regrets and that you knew that you gave yourself every single resource possible to reach your full potential. And at least for me, that's, that's all I could ask for. You know, there's a lot of things out there and people doing different things in life. But, you know, for me, I just don't want to die with any regrets. And that's what would ultimately make me happy. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Uh, hope you guys found value. Uh, see you guys on the next one. Love you all and peace.